So let's, let's pray. We'll pray for, for this message, and we'll also pray for the sound system. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us this place to meet. And we're thankful that today is cooler than it has been, Lord. And we pray for the sound. We pray that it would come through clear, Lord, that everyone would be able to hear. And Lord, give us hearing ears today. Open our hearts to hear what you would have to speak to us from your word. Lord, we pray against distractions. We pray that you would unite our hearts to be able to focus on what you have to say to us out of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we have, we're going verse by verse through Matthew 25. And I'm afraid my Bible's going to fall off of this thing, so if that happens, it's not unexpected. My Bible's bigger than Steve and heavier. That's because I need the large print. There. Okay. Now, we have taken probably two months in Matthew 24 and 25. And sometimes we get close to the details, but we need to remember that this was a talk that Jesus had with the disciples. It probably lasted about an hour. And as you remember, back in 24, uh, they had been in the temple... And they left the temple area, went down to the Valley of Kidron, and up to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples asked him questions about the signs of his coming, the end of the age. And Jesus went on to explain many signs, things to watch out for, and many warnings. And then towards the end of of chapter 24, you know, he tells us that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. And then he tells us to be faithful servants. And... And there's a, a parable of the servant who, who his Lord was a long time coming back. So, so he kind of went back on the Lord and he was, you know, drinking and, and abusing his, his fellow servants. And so there's a warning there not, not to give up, to keep waiting. And then last week we had the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins. And that ends with watch. Watch, therefore, be ready. We don't know the day or hour when Jesus is coming. And tonight, uh, today's message is on the parable of the talents. It's a very familiar passage. And, and the point that Jesus is making here is faithfulness. And then next week, we have the... Uh, it's, 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 Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, the final judgment. So all of this was delivered to disciples in about an hour. So as we we look at this, we need to remember this is just part of a whole message. We're starting chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. I'm going to read it through once, and then we'll come back and take a look at it verse by verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, Now, remember, this talent is not like tap dancing or playing the clarinet. This talent was a unit of money, a large unit of money. We'll talk about that more in a minute. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two more also. 
And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides these. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a positive note to end the pun. So let's, let's take a look at this. We'll just go back and, and read a few verses and talk about it. The main point of this message, of course, is faithfulness. Are we being faithful with what God has given us? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And, he gave five, and to one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So this talent, as I said, was a unit of money. A talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. And I just happened to have a denarii here, a denarius here in my pocket. Now, I'm sure you can't see it. This is a replica, of course. It has the image of Emperor Tiberius, who was the Caesar at that time, this was equal to one day's wages for a common laborer. It was the first century equivalent of the minimum wage. So if a talent weighed somewhere between 75 and 80 pounds, and if he worked out 6,000 of these one day's wages, if you worked it, it doesn't really convert very well to our money. But if you figured eight bucks an hour, $64 for minimum wage here, times 6,000, you get something like $380,000. And if you're giving a person five of them, that's almost $2 million. And the guy that gets two is 700 and some thousand, and the guy one is just like 380,000. So this is not insignificant. And we know that we're not talking about God actually giving us money, I don't think I don't heard of anybody that's come and said, God gave me $380,000. I mean, it might happen. But what does God give us? 
what gifts, what goods does God have that he gives us? Well, number one, the gift of salvation. And we have that. Also, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And anybody who is saved gets these gifts. Some have the gift of faith, some hospitality, some administration. God also gives us real talents, like being able to sing, being able to teach. And also, there are the, the actual material resources, the money, the goods, the property. And another thing is opportunities. I think opportunities could be gifts from God. So what we're talking about here is what are we doing with what God has given us? And he also says that each, he, he didn't give everybody five talents, five, two, and one, and God doesn't, doesn't give to us equal gifts. But we'll see as it goes along, it doesn't matter how little or how much we get, but it's what we do with what God gives us. So he went on a long journey. Then he who had received the five talents, verse 16, went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So we see two people who are faithful. They take what their Lord has given them and they use it to gain more, not for themselves, but for the Lord. And, and the same with us. What has God given us? Are we using it to further God's kingdom here on earth? I think that's the point of what he is saying. Now, five-talent dude and two-talent dude do real good, but the guy that got the one talent, he buries it. He doesn't appreciate it. He doesn't do anything with it. He just sticks it in the ground. Now, where we are in, in our life in 21st century America is we're actually between verse 18 and verse 19 as this parable applies to us. The Lord has given us gifts and resources and it's now the time to see what we're going to do with them because sometime in the not too near distant future we'll be facing verse 19. After a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The scripture tells us we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give account for what we have done in this body. It even says we'll give account for every idle word we have spoken. So that is something that we will all see. We don't know when. We don't know the day or the hour. But it is something we will all see. Verse 20. So the guys, the Lord's coming. The guys get their stuff together. Uh, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. I think he's probably kind of excited. Look what I did. 
His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, don't we want to hear that? You know, enter into the joy of your Lord. I'm thinking if you wanted to pick uh, something to meditate on, think what it would be like to enter into the joy of the Lord. We have joy now. You know, as we walk with the Lord, we have joy. And, and if, if you're a Christian and don't have joy, then you're a very weak Christian because in Nehemiah it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have a taste of this now, but just think of what it's going to be like when we see Jesus and he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. So these first two servants, you know, who heard this from their master, well, they're excited, they're rejoicing, you know, high-fiving, they're all excited. And how do you think the one-talent dude is feeling right now? You know, he's got his, he went and dug it up, maybe had to hunt around, where did I put that thing, you know? He gets it, you know, he's lugging it up there, maybe has it in a wagon, and there he stands. I don't think he's as excited as the other two. So he says, 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. This guy is blaming the Lord. He is blaming the Lord. You're a hard guy, he's saying. Reminds me of Adam in the garden after he and Eve ate the fruit. And God said, you know, Adam, what did you do? And he comes along and says, you know, it's the woman. You gave, me, you gave, you gave her to me. Remember that? This guy is saying, I knew you were a hard guy. But the guy does not understand his master's heart. This guy does not know his master. What he is saying is, I know you harvest where you didn't plant. That's like if, if my neighbors planted tomatoes and got all these tomatoes, and I go over and take them all. That's stealing. You see, God is not like that. This man does not understand his master's heart, and I don't think he is truly saved. And we will talk about that in a minute. So, he's afraid, he says. Verse 25, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So was he afraid of the master? Was he afraid of making a mistake? Was he afraid of trying to invest it and losing money? No. This guy was not like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son got his inheritance from his father and he went and wasted it, partying and harlots? This guy didn't do that. He, he kept it all intact. He just was lazy. He didn't appreciate it. He didn't obey. There you have what is yours. He probably thinks, you know, I won't get a well done, good and faithful, but, you know, at least I didn't lose anything. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather seed where I have not and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now, he's calling him lazy. He's calling him lazy. I almost entitled this talk, Lazy People Go to Hell. And I think you can make a point, you know, outer darkness is, is certainly not heaven, you know. 
But there's more to it than that. Now, I don't think the Lord is, saying, is agreeing with his assessment of the Lord in that he was hard and reaps where he had not sown. In fact, the word translated new in verse 26 is a, is different, is a different Greek word from the one in 24. The one in 26 can also be translated perceive. And I believe what he is saying here, the Lord is saying, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I reap where I did not sow, or you think that's the way I am? I believe that's what he's saying here. Therefore, 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. He's saying you should have done something with it. You should have done even a little something with it. Now, I don't know if interest rates in, in certificate of deposits were anything in the first century like they are today, but you don't get much. But he's saying you should have done something. You should have done something. Therefore, verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Does anybody scratch their head at that verse? You know, that's a little bit, if you have it, you don't have it, you're going to lose it. I think he's saying this. Remember, this whole parable is about faithfulness. To he who has faithfulness, more will be given and we have abundance. The five-talent, the two-talent people were faithful and then they had abundance. But he who has, him who does not have, the lazy servant did not have faithfulness. And so it's taken away from him what little he had. Verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable, useless, good for nothing. He was lazy, he was useless, he was good for nothing. Cast him into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not like the basement of heaven. This is hell. And that's why I say, I don't think this man could not have been saved. Now, I know you can go back and say, well, it said that he was a servant. And if he's a servant of the Lord, well, then he's got to be saved. But parables are parables. They're to teach a lesson. The lesson here is faithfulness. If you start to press too hard in the details, the analogy will break down. So let's just think about this man as somebody who is rejecting God's gifts. God is offering him salvation. And there may be some folks here today who have, who have never taken that gift that God wants to give them. You, know, you have treated it as nothing, as not important, laid it aside. Yet God stands and offers you the gift of salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Righteousness. You would be made right with God. You will no longer be at odds with God. And the gospel, the gospel, the gospel gives us joy. It lightens our burdens. It gives us strength. So if, if you've never trusted Christ completely as your Lord and Savior, don't put it off. Do it today. You can come up and talk to me or 
one of the other teachers or elders afterwards or come by our office if you have questions. We'd be happy to sit down and try and answer them. So I think that is one application of this parable to somebody who is really not trusting the Lord as their Savior. Now, for us people who are trusting the Lord, I think there's lessons for us here as well. And there's two particularly I want to talk about. The first one is, don't let fear keep us from being faithful to obey what God has given us to do. And the second one is, we need to be faithful to use the resources, the talents that God has given us to reach the lost. Now, the first one about letting fear stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Remember the man's excuse, I was afraid, I was afraid. Now, is God asking you to do something that, that you're not doing or you're afraid of? Is God calling you to do something and you're not obeying? Or is there something you know you should be doing, but you're not? Maybe you know God wants you to witness to your co-workers, but you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. I mean, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, you're afraid. Or maybe it's somebody at school. The Lord wants you to invite them to church, but you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, they'll make fun of me. You're afraid of embarrassment. Or perhaps every week you read in the, in the bulletin here that, that we need help in the children's ministry and God is, you know, talking to your heart saying, no, you could do that. But you're saying, oh, no, man, I'm no good with kids. I'm, I, I don't want to do that. Well, there's all kinds of things. Perhaps, you know, God wants you to join a small group or a Bible study. But you say, no, if I, I'm afraid if I go that, people will find out who I really am and they won't like me. The devil really uses fear to stand between us and God's will. But you know, most things that God asks us to do are really a little scary at first. No? They're really a little scary. And I think we as Christians need to be more willing to take risk. My favorite disciple is Peter. Peter was such an awesome guy. Remember when he and the other disciples were in the boat? There's this big storm. They think the boat's going to sink. They see this thing out there on the water. They all get afraid. And then it gets closer. They see it's Jesus. And, and Peter says, Lord, Lord, if that's you, let me come out, come out to you. This was a man who was not afraid to take risks. And Jesus said, yeah, come on. So, you know, he steps out of the boat and he starts walking. How far did he get? Did he get three feet, ten feet, fifty feet? We don't know. But he got so far, and then he sank. Jesus reaches down and grabs him. He still had to get back in the boat. I don't think Jesus carried him. I don't know. Did he walk back? Did he run back? Did Jesus hold his hand? So he gets back in the boat. Do you think the other disciples, do you think Andrew came up to him and said, Oh, we saw it coming, man. You took your eyes off Jesus. We make that point with that story, don't we? To keep our eyes on Jesus if we look at all the waves and troubles will sink. I don't think they did that at all. I think they were patting him on the back. I think they were high-fiving him. Man, what was it like? I mean, he had the bragging rights. He may have sunk, but he walked on the water. There were, what, another 11 disciples? Any of them walk on the water? Peter was not afraid to take risks. When he also opened his mouth all the time at the wrong time, but he was not afraid to speak out. Remember when they came to arrest 
Jesus and Peter drew his sword, cut off the guy's ear. You know, she said, oh, come on, man. Had to heal the thing. And then when they took Jesus to the high priest's house, it says Peter followed afar off. Now, when we teach that passage, we say, oh, don't fall afar off or you end up denying the Lord like Jesus did. But where were the other disciples? They were all hiding. Peter was at least following. He wanted to see what was happening to Jesus. He wanted to see where Jesus was going. And who did Jesus leave in charge when he rose up to heaven? The quiet kind of reserved people that sat in the boat? He put Peter in charge. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. First time he speaks, 3,000 people get saved. So, how about us? Can we take some risks for Jesus and not let our fear hold us back? No. Go witness to that neighbor. Witness to your classmate. Join that small group or Bible class. Or maybe God is telling you to start a Bible study. Go visit the nursing home. Go on a mission trip. Take that retirement money and sponsor a Bible translation in a language that has no scriptures in their heart's language. Or maybe take your inheritance and go to Africa and build an orphanage. You know, we need to be risk takers. We need, if we're going to walk on the water, the saying is, you've got to get out of the boat. It may just be a small thing. Maybe the Lord just wants you to set that alarm clock back 30 minutes so you can get up early enough to spend some time with him before you go to school or before you go to work. Or maybe the Lord is just saying, turn off the TV and read the Bible. So that's my first point, that we cannot let fear keep us from doing God what God wants us to do. And the second point I wanted to draw from this parable is are we really being faithful to use the resources and opportunities God has given us to fulfill the job that God has given the church? And that is the Great Commission, to, to take this message of salvation to a lost and dying world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Two-thirds of the world's population lives in Asia, yet 70% of those people have no knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just take Tibet, for instance. It's, it used to be its own country, it's a part of China. Three million people. There are no churches there at all, as we know. And as far as we know, there's two small groups of secret believers in the whole country of three million people. There's a Hindu group, people group, called Bandai, or Bad Hai, I think. There's six million of these. No churches. No known Christians. And there's many hundreds of smaller people groups throughout the world with no believers, no churches, no missionaries, and no scripture in their language. Now to put that in perspective, here in our home county, we have about 25,000 people population. The Chamber of Commerce booklet lists 50 churches. 50 churches here. Now, is that a little bit out of proportion? And also, what about the lost people that are in our midst, among us in this country, in this community? We've all heard the horrible news 
of the tragic deaths in Colorado. Twelve people, you know, stepped out of this life into eternity in an instant, not expecting it. Did those people know the Lord? Did they see Jesus or did they see out of darkness? Did their Christian neighbors or friends or classmates share the gospel with them? We don't know. What about the young man who, who committed this horrible crime? You know, 24 years old, he was a student. He obviously had classmates and neighbors. Did anybody invite him to church? Did anybody reach out to him in a friendly way? Maybe so. He may have rejected it. We don't know. You see, this kind of thing, I have a, my daughter-in-law and grandson in Dallas, Texas, were at the showing of the same movie, the midnight showing of the movie there. It could have happened anywhere. It could have happened anywhere. And even, even more locally, we have a website, I don't know if you're aware of, that's called peacewithjesus.com. And that is the, the website that we print on the back of our $2 million bill gospel tracts and all of our other gospel tracts. And it is it's a website that we set up that is designed to preach the gospel to people. And this past week, I got two emails from very hurting people that, came, that were sent to peace with Jesus. And I'm not going to read the details. I'm going to read part of one. I'm not going to read the details because of this person's confidentiality. I don't know. He could be sitting here. He could be in Alaska. These tracts, we passed out over 15,000 of them, you know, in numerous foreign countries and all around the, uh, the states here. But his, this person has suffered a series of just really horrible, tragic losses in recent years. And he says, I want so bad to jump off a roof and just end the suffering. While cleaning out my wallet, I came across a million-dollar bill with a message on it. The seed of God's word had laid dormant in this man's wallet for years. I am reaching out to anyone who will hear me. I feel alone, like God has abandoned me. I thought maybe God made me keep that bill so many years ago for this moment. Please help me before I give up on life. Is that a heart cry or what? Now, I did answer his email. I haven't received anything back. Um, but there are many people, I believe, like this. In our own county, in the last year, we've had eight or nine people commit suicide. So these are not, you know, far away, foreign places. There's people all around us. And, and we just need to be really, really faithful, you know, to reach out to them. Now... Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to beat up on you or, or beat up on the church. Um, on the contrary, this church is very, very concerned about the loss. And I'm, I'm very, I've been in few churches that, that have the compassion and, and are actually doing what we're doing as a church and individually to reach out to the lost. You know, there's the soup kitchen that we minister to the homeless every Friday. And there's the Columbia Children's Ministry. Uh, the prayer station, the, the street ministry of that, the benevolence ministry the church has, the nursing home, the, uh, we, we sponsor the Good News Club that's in the local elementary schools. And just from the growth of this church, even on this hot summer morning, you're all here. The church continues to grow. So you folks are obviously sharing the gospel with your neighbors, your friends, and your workers. And people are coming and getting saved. 
And globally, we are supporting missionaries, pastors, evangelists in India, Pakistan, China, Nepal, Vietnam, Indonesia, and other countries reaching out to unreached or little-reached people groups. So as a church individually, I mean, as a church and individually, I mean, we are being faithful. I'm not saying we're not doing it. No. I'm just saying sometimes it's good to stop and say, Lord, are we really being faithful in, as, as we can be? Is there more we could or should be doing? And, and God will show us. And God will show us. And that's my two points. Now, we're going to close in prayer, but I don't know if you know, there's a young man who's been part of our church for many, many years, and he is heading off to the army. This is his last Sunday with him. Would you come up here, please, Daniel Parks? We're going to pray for you. Sorry to put you on the spot, but three different people came up to me and said, you know it's his last day, we, got, we need to pray for him, and we certainly do. So you're going in the army, is that right? That's correct. And when do you leave? Uh, Fort Jack, South Carolina, July 30th. July 30th. Yeah. So this is his last Sunday with us. So, <laughs> and, and we certainly, you know, we'll miss you. We're so glad you've been a part, you and your family, this fellowship for how many years? For, you know, uh, since you were like, four or five, shorter than me. Years, yeah. You know? wow. yeah. Praise God. So I'm going to pray first that God would help us to be faithful as a church, not to bury our talents and not to bury our resources. And then I'll pray for Daniel that uh, God would bless him, keep him, and continue to use him. And so they don't get to be this way by themselves, do they? <laughs> so, darling, we're going to just pray that the Lord, uh, you know, for, for the message that we just had, and then, then uh, we'll lay hands on Daniel and, and pray for him. Okay. So, Lord Jesus, we are so very thankful. We're thankful for your word that gives light unto our path, Lord. That we don't have to grope in darkness. We thank you for your mercies and your saving grace. And, Lord, we pray that, that the message from the, the parable of the talents today would just work in our hearts, Lord. That we would be faithful, Lord. Faithful to, to take those risks for you. To, to answer the call that you put in our heart, whatever that may be, Lord. And also individually and as a church, Lord, to, to reach out to the lost in this world and in our neighborhoods. And Lord, I thank you so much for Daniel and, and for the Parks family. I thank you for the years that he's been here and his faithfulness in your word and to trust and believe in you. And Lord, we just lift him up to you in prayer. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would protect him, Lord. Keep him safe, Lord. And use him not only to serve, your, to serve our country, Lord, but use him to minister to the other young men that he will be in contact with on a daily basis, Lord. Lord, just fill him with your spirit and fill him with peace. We also pray for Darlene and his sisters, Lord, that you would just uh, give them a real trust in knowing that, that Daniel is walking with you and you will take care of him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.